All right, everyone, welcome back to the Mission 300 podcast. We are back with another episode here talking about unity and conformity and this uh, book that we've been reading called Live Not By Lies. And so we're going to get into some of the things that are covered in that book. Um, my name is Jason. I'm here with Brian and Tommy, as always. Um, and so we wanted to to discuss some of the things we've been reading in this book. And uh, we're not just strictly sticking to uh, that book for the discussion today. We have a few other questions we're going to get into, but it all really relates to some things that I'm sure you guys have been seeing in the world around you right now. And so a couple of the questions we wanted to address in this episode are, have you ever wondered why people are so quick to jump into movements? I mean, if you've been looking around uh, the world the last couple of years or so, you've seen probably a dozen different movements spring up, um, be super popular for a while, people jump into them. And we always feel pressured either to, you know, jump in with everyone else, or we feel pressured to avoid it. You either feel pressured to post this thing on your social media to show you're part of this movement and supporting it, or you're pushed away from it. And I don't think many people have ever asked the question, why are human beings so just ready to jump into different movements? So we're going to get into that today. We're going to talk about, um, the way Jesus functioned in that same kind of thought process, because when he came to the world, we tend to look at it as, as if it was some ancient time, and it honestly really was, but there was a lot of the same thought processes that we see today that he had to face as well. And so we can actually look at how he functioned and how he approached some of those things and learn something for ourselves through it. And then at the very end, we're going to tackle this idea of conformity and unity, which we have discussed in uh, a couple episodes a long time ago. But what we want to get to today is what is conformity after? There's all this pressure to conform to things around you. What is it actually after? And what can you actually do to not be, I guess, pinned down by that influence because if you've been looking around at all at the world today you can see how strong this influence is to conform to different ways of thinking to just shut up and believe what we're telling you and repeat the same thing go along with the company line and all that sort of thing so that's what we're going to get into in this episode and to kick us off tommy's going to read um, a little excerpt from this book live not by lies so the book we're looking at this week is titled live not by lives by rod Dreher. And one uh, passage I'm going to take a read from here, but I'm going to set it up a little bit, is um, in the introduction, he takes a little bit from a guy named Alexander Solzhenitsyn, and he writes in a final essay to the Russian people, and it's titled Live Not by Lies. Um, and in this essay, he challenged the claim that the totalitarian system was so powerful that the ordinary man and woman could not challenge it. But he said nonsense. Um, the foundation of totalitarianism is an ideology made of lies. The system depends on its for existence, on, a, on people's fear of challenging the lies. Our way must be never knowingly support lies. You may not have the strength to stand up in public and say what you really believe, but you can at least refuse to affirm what you, dis what you do not believe. You may not be able to overthrow totalitarianism, but you can find within yourself and within your community the means to live in dignity of truth. If we must live under a dictatorship of lies, the writer said, then our response must be, let their rule hold, not through me. We had done a podcast while about, a while back about uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn and kind of his, he came out of the gulags, out of uh, the Russian gulags. He had been a prisoner in the the German camp, he 
he had lived through this whole entire thing and his story is really powerful of the conclusions that he came to about taking personal responsibility, even though it looked like nothing was his fault. And so he is sharing this truth about how to live that out because he had to come to that conclusion in the, in the gulags of how to view this. When we're talking about this today, we're not, I think it's important that we're not trying to say this group is totalitarian. This group is not totalitarian and getting back into the movements because my view of a movement is everyone needs to have one and it's great fertilizer. There is things that grow from it, but we have to be careful of just jumping because you could say for a moment, this group is bad, so therefore I'm going to jump on this group so we can combat that. That is conformity. It is different than a unifying truth that people are unifying around a truth and they're standing for the truth, but what it does is it removes people from being your target enemy. And so it's very important as we're talking through this um, that we're not looking to which group to jump to. We're trying to bring back to your identity, your strength, your courage, your influence, and as an individual that is free, you are responsible for the truth. Now, in that, you begin uniting people around you around those truths. And we'll talk more about how that all connects, but there's a very distinct difference. So even as we go forward, living not by lies, we're really battling the idea of how easy it is to conform to a society just because it becomes easier. But then we don't realize what we actually become in doing that. And we see this uh, as this author is talking and he's doing reports from people that came out of communist Russia and Nazi Germany and seeing the same patterns taking place in our country today. And one thing I kind of want to kind of touch on at the very onset of this, for a lot of people and myself included years ago, I, I was the kind of person that would look at things like a totalitarian government, communism, and all these oppressive dictatorships. And I was the person thinking that would never happen here in America. That's not our DNA. We have a different foundation as a country. We have different values in a different system. So that cannot happen here and it would not happen here it's not logical and i get how some people still feel that way today but it's interesting to me that a lot of people especially in the church that hold that opinion are the same people that are the first to point out how depraved our world is our country is how many of our cultural values we're losing how we all recognize that people in our society have this this gaping hole of acceptance that they're trying to fill in their lives. And they're just looking for love in all the wrong places. They're losing our morals and values. And because of that, these ideas slip in. We talk about people joining movements. That's one, one aspect of why a movement has such a pull on people, because you can join something that's bigger than yourself and you can be accepted by this group of people. And you can feel like you're part of this community or part of this belief system just by, just by signing up, just by joining in. And you can wave that flag and you can you know, have that little badge. That's what draws people in. And if we understand that the world is desperately seeking love and acceptance, and looking for it. And if as Christians and leaders, we understand that you can only truly find that in Christ, but then we have a, a world around us that, that rejects that from Christ, then it will be filled by these kind of totalitarian movements, these kind of things that spring up and they promise acceptance, they promise community, 
And that's how th these things grow. And so I don't think it's so far-fetched to say that this could happen here. It can happen anywhere. I mean, just uh, people in Venezuela 20 years ago were thinking, well, this is like, we've got the richest oil reserves in the world in Venezuela. We're going to have success and we're going to be wealthy for generations. And now look at it. It's just an utter disaster. Nations can turn in a matter of decades. We see it throughout history. It can happen anywhere. And so that's not to, that's not to put out this you know, fear-mongering thing so that people just get all nervous and anxious, but it is something that we need to understand so that we can know how to influence people the proper way in this and avoid the influence of these movements ourselves. I think you bring up a really good point, Jason, about people wanting to be loved and feel loved and have an experience with a group. And I think something that I definitely see in my life and in my generation and a lot of younger uh, people is that social media has kind of become that place where we get that loving love, that acceptance, that, you know, we get to communicate with people, we get to communicate with friends, and we kind of lose touch of communicating with people that are outside of our, our group or outside of our, um, our normal interactions on a day-to-day -day basis. And I think that's something that's really interesting is that what social media is kind of sold as is a way to communicate and a way to connect with people across borders, a way to, you know, learn new experiences, new cultures, but yet we never really get that through social media. We never actually gain that experience through social media. And I just think that's really interesting. And I think that could somewhat tie into about how movements like this start. It starts as something good. They have a longing and a desire for something good, but they're seeking after the wrong thing or seeking from people that can't fill that need. Which, which brings us to the echo chamber reality. An echo chamber is when you're in, in the echo chamber, you speak and then it echoes. And the more you talk, it keeps reverberating and reverberating and reverberating. And it is very interesting that when we look at our world, of how much our social media, let's say you like a certain group or a certain style of music, it will keep finding that certain style of music to keep feeding that. But you, over time, you realize you're never exposed to any other style of music. And this echo chamber reality is our humanness wants to, from a natural point, we want to connect. We want to find the, the thing that we, that we are bonded over. And I think that is a very good thing. And everything we're talking about, here's the, here's the funny part. There is a good in each one of those pieces, but there's a big danger in it as well on both sides. So uh, I remember growing up in the denomination I grew up in. No one ever, ever said, we're the only Christians. Like, we're the Christian group. However, we never fellowship with any other denomination because there was this underlying thought process that was never said, but it didn't matter where in the country I went. This philosophy tended to follow this. They're not really a Christian. They're trying to be, and hopefully they'll get it so they can be like us. So this doesn't just take place in governments. This doesn't just take place in social media. This takes place in any kind of organized group. 
But here's where the danger comes. We could go say, I just distrust all groups because they're all doing this. That is a big, dangerous play. Because the moment we start discounting stabilities and, and not being able to, uh, we remove all order, now you're getting into chaos. There is a truth in this that we do, it's good to connect with people that have a common connection, but we need to look at this more like family. And when we look at it like a family point, guess what? Families don't agree on everything. But if there's order within the family, it's okay to disagree. There is n every kid, if you have multiple siblings, they're all going to think something different. But we share something that bonds us together. And I think that's the bigger thing when Jesus said, be bonded together in the unity of peace. We're bonded by a unity, but it doesn't mean we don't have different thoughts and different perspectives and different uh, bents because of what we're created to do. And so as we're going through this, hopefully we could kind of unpack some of those differences, but to go to this initial point, this is when you've isolated a group of people so much, they're desperate to become part of something, even if it's suffering to go do it. And now they're ideologically forming to a group, and now it becomes a war of ideas, and therefore your identity is tied to your ideals. And therefore, we have a big problem, and now we have division. And I will tell you, the, the wickedness of the enemy who ultimately authored this totalitarian idea, because God didn't. God didn't even have this in his systems that he ever formed. But in that argument of totalitarianism, you get an isolated group of people that have been abandoned a long time. They feel lonely. They feel outsider. They feel marginalized. They get pushed aside. Now you unite them together in hate towards what, hap what happened to them. And now you've got a big problem. And so hopefully we could kind of unpack that. But this is what he's addressing, that you're actually going to be able to accept a lie because it still feeds something that makes you feel satisfied. And it's interesting to see a lot of movements, even in the last you know handful of years I've been observing this, in our society, we've seen the family unit crumbling. And so a lot of movements come to replace family with groups. And he touches on this in the introduction of the book too. We, there's, when, when a society moves towards this or this idea of um, totalitarianism and this whole thinking process, it removes the individual and it puts you in a group. So now you're attached to a group. You're not really an individual and you can break your group down into subgroups and all these things. And that's how you figure out where you are. And that idea replaces what a healthy, good family is supposed to be. And so if we remove the family, now we have to replace that need for something else. So there's a, a need for community. There's a need for belonging. There's a need for people to want someone to have their backs and to have to reciprocate that as well. So now our groups that we bring in and our movements we bring in can be the source of that for you. Now, the problem is once you do that, you can't leave that group or that movement because now if you leave it, you're losing your source. You're losing the provision for what was filling that need. So, and I think the, the problem becomes when we, when we have generations of people that have grown up not experiencing that kind of a healthy family dynamic. I was blessed to have uh, a close brother and sister growing up and have parents that were in the home growing up. And there's, it's almost, it's very difficult to explain that 
relationship between your siblings to where you can fight each other. And especially with my, my brother and I growing up, we could fight each other and we could be physical about it and we could be wrestling and almost throwing punches. But if someone else were to enter that fight, we have each other's backs, no matter what. I'll fight with you for one minute, but I'm still me and you're still you and I'll take a bullet for you in a second. And there's something about that family dynamic that you can't, you can't really replicate in the world, but it's a longing that everyone has. That's why there's so much talk in the Bible about being the family of uh, the, the church is a family. We are in the body of Christ and we're, that's not where we're going in this discussion, but that is what movements and different ideologies try to be the source of provision for, to fill that need which exists in the DNA of human beings. And I've seen it so much. And there's some movements that are just, you know, very honest and open about that, where it's in their mission statement. We want to destroy families and just, you know, bring them into a group instead. We want to kind of deconstruct this idea of families or change what families are and bring in our ideas instead. And it seems like this harmless little thing over there that nobody pays attention to, but it's a, it's a deadly virus that eats you from the inside as a culture. Um, and, but that's, I guess that's the whole thing behind why people are so quick to jump into movements from my perspective is they're, they're longing for that thing. It's been taken away from them and anything that seems to provide that for them, they'll just, they'll give themselves to it. I think it's really interesting though, just kind of me reflecting on my own life and how I grew up in my family is that in, in a family setting, there can be disagreements and there can be fights and there can be quarreling. But yet when it comes back to it, like you were saying, we're still family. We still got each other's back. But when I think of like groups of people, when there tends to be disagreements, it's not really like, oh, we're still together. It's no, you think like that guy, go join their group. Oh, you don't fit in with their group, join this group. And it's like a never ending cycle of, what group am I going to fit in when I think this? What group am I going to think in? What group am I going to be in when I think like this? And so I think what you're saying is spot on, you know? Families are very, very important. And I've seen it in my own life, even with growing up in I somewhat of a similar situation with Brian is that I went to a church um, that had certain beliefs and thought it a certain way. And then I went to a school that kind of was different and it was, I was caught in the middle of this between I know there's truth in here and trying to discover it. And I would have conversations with like my grandpa, for example, I love, love the man, but we had have disagreements or I would bring up questions and he'd be able to respond. And, but that never, never tore us apart, even though we had some big disagreements from how church did things or how my Christian school did things it still always came down to the core belief was that we're Christians and that we, we love God and we love Jesus and we're following and pursuing after him. And with that, we can, we can lock arms together and know that we're pursuing the same thing. Although we may be going through different things, different beliefs, different truths, trying to understand what this says, what this says, how to apply that. And I just think that's, that's crucial is that, you need to have that family unit to hold you and that be your source of identity, not just ideas or people, because no matter what, I'm always going to be a son. That's who I am. It's never going to change by 
what beliefs I go to, I'm always their son. But you're lifted up in your individuality as you are unified in that family. And I think you touched on the biggest difference there. If you're if you're out in a group, whether it's a church or an organization or whatever it is, they have a belief system. And if you don't conform to that, then you are not on the inside and you cannot fully participate in our group. But in a, a healthy family structure, there is unity for the individuals to rise up in who they were. You might take a different career path than your parents. You might have take a different denominational path as, as far as your church attendance or something like that but it doesn't remove the unity that has that is built into that family structure. It's such a weird thing to think about because it's it's almost difficult to think of how can something be unified when it is different from the other things in it. You know, as you guys are sharing this, that that movie uh Catch Me If You Can with uh Leonardo DiCaprio and uh Tom Hanks. It is, it, in a way, it was this whole thing. So you have one person that is a thief, a check forger, and you have this FBI agent, and he's going to catch him. But they pursued each other so long. One's running from the one while the other's trying to catch him, and they're, they're always missing each other. But over time, they start interacting. And the, the thief, the forger, slowly starts calling every Christmas to the FBI agent to how's christmas what's going on he and then that was when the fbi agent realized you don't have any family like he was longing for something con to connect them and at the end they end up uh he ends up can uh the fbi agent ends up can catching him they ends up going to prison but then the fbi agent ends up almost becoming a father to him and brings him out of prison to work with the fbi in order to kept catch other forgers and I, in a, in a weird way, what you guys are describing is that whole different, that idea as it's an us against them, but the more they start getting to know each other, they find a common bond that one becomes the father figure that the other one always desired, which is the whole reason he was forging in the beginning was to be known and to, to please his father and to be known by his father. And he found this father figure that was true, that was doing what's right. And they end up becoming together and they're actually accomplishing the same thing. Different viewpoints, different outside. But I think what's interesting, unfortunately, it was the pursuit of law enforcement and in that story. But if you really look at it differently, it's two different opposing views, but they're still pursuing each other in a very strange way. How much more if, as a believer, so Jesus promised one thing, in John chapter 16, he said, the world hated me and the world is going to hate you. I'm just telling you so you're not shocked by it. That's point number one in Christianity. Um, you're never going to be a part of the world system. We have to be in it, but we don't have to be of it. We don't have to be uh, controlled by it, conformed by it, but you're in it. Like There's no other place to go. There, you can't escape it. You're in this, this world system. At the same token, if we started looking at the people as someone God is pursuing, even though they may have embraced a, a different ideology and you, you, you pursue peace as long as you can, something happens that if we, we hold to the truth like this FBI agent, he just held to it and held to it and held to it and held to it, and it actually brought the forger into becoming a benefit 
and he became one of the ones that helped expose all these other thefts. It's a very interesting story, but it really kind of parallels what we're trying to talk to is they didn't become conformed to each other. They became unified together and then their actions begin to flow similar. So they, do, do you catch the difference? Like when you're yeah. unified, your actions and your direction become similar, but you're not doing it to get the approval of the other person. You're not doing it to compromise yourself, but you're going to go along with it because you really want their approval. But deep down, you're still wanting to steal and you're going to use all those other things. So the forger gave up forging because what he was looking for was found versus he's still a forger secretly doing it, but wants to be in this group. So he's conforming to it. And I think we need to see the distinction in that. And Paul says this, be not conformed to this world that hates you anyway, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And here's the distinction. Being conformed is like you're in a cookie cutter and you're being pressed into something, but it's not really you. Being transformed is more from a butterfly effect where, yes, you were a caterpillar, but now you're a butterfly, but you're still it's still of the same essence. And so this is very, very critical, even when we're looking at Christianity, even when we're looking to bring the gospel. I want everybody to know about Jesus. But if my whole motive is to get them to conform and take on my ideas and take on my beliefs, and you need to do it this way, and I start creating a structure that if you want to be a good Christian, here's how you have to do it, I'm getting them to conform because they want, if they choose, they're more wanting to be with with the group than they really want to be with the thing that's going to change their life, which is Jesus. So we do this all the time, and so the, the problem is, it's not so much that it happens inadvertently. This is due to the fall, and this is Satan's strategy. The reason the home is always under attack, it's not by accident. It's always under attack. The reason totalitarianism always wants to try to emerge, and conformity always wants to try to emerge, because that is from the fallen nature, and we have an enemy that uses that tactic. What we have to do, though, is separate. It's not right. And it's not right in any aspect that we use it, because it is a world system that goes against what we actually are. I think that goes smoothly into our next question here, because a lot of times we'll look at things, don't be conformed to the world, the world's going to hate you because it hated me. We see all these things in scripture, but for a lot of American thinkers, we see that as, well, that means other countries are going to hate us, or governments in other countries are going to hate us, because you know, we've kind of gotten past that in the U.S. We'll look at it as, well, we have a foundation of Christian principles. We have a constitution. We have a freedom of religion and all these things here. So that's that's not talking about anything we're going to face domestically. That's, look, if you go out into the world, they're going to hate you. And you're going to have to resist the influence of conforming to the world out there. I think we fall for a really big deception when we think that. So when you guys study the life of Jesus, how do you see him, I guess, dealing with those influences in his time? And uh, let's just say for the sake of argument that maybe we can relate to that today because it would be helpful to do so. The story that comes to my mind the most is, is even more than just how he interacted and, and walked on the earth, is when he was in the, the wilderness being tempted by the devil. 
there was three temptations that came. And and remember, they're all they're all three, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God. So they all came after his identity. But the three dealt with the three different areas uh, that we all deal with. So we we have to deal with as a believer in Jesus Christ and God being our father and our identity coming from him. We have to deal with the world system. So that's number one. The second one we have to deal with is our, our fleshly nature. Like when we're born sinful without Jesus, we're always born sinful. That's why you can create a good movement that looks good on the outside. But if the people's hearts aren't changed that are running it, it will slowly just become the same thing. It will operate in the same manner. So we have that old fleshly nature that, that has to be dealt with. But then you have another element is the enemy himself working, trying to convince you that you're less than what you are. You're less than what God said about you because when you believe in him, you become a child of him. So you're of his family now. So he tries to convince you you're not, you're being cheated, you're something less. So think about it. those three elements are against us. That That's strike one. So you could win and create, finally we have whatever you define as the right government system and all pure justice going on. Guess what? It won't be long before that all becomes corrupted because now you have a human nature that is flawed and corrupted. So it won't be long before that becomes corrupted. And even if you win in those two areas, now you have an enemy trying to convince you you're less than what you are or trying to manipulate you who you are towards God himself. And now you have to deal with that. So Jesus, the first thing he had to deal with was kind of the fleshly desires. He's, he's hungry. He's been fasting for 40 days. And now all of a sudden, hey, if you really are the son of God, turn the stone into bread. He's hungry. And now he's challenging, is God going to provide for me? Would he provide for me? If I, if I needed that, would he give it to me? And then he resists with the word. Then he goes on and the enemy comes to him. He takes him to the top of the temple and does him, said, if, if, if you really are the son of God, just jump off. His angels will take care of you. So now we have this satanic challenge to who you are. Are you really valuable before God? If you're really valuable before God, you could jump off and he'll catch you. So we have the satanic influence. They're all satanic, but they, they come in three different realms. And then you have this, this fleshly one. Then we have this value before God that Satan's always trying to strip away. And then the third one comes along. If you bow to me, the kingdoms of the world are in my hands. If you bow to me, I'll give you all these kingdoms. Here's a different way you can get what you're actually coming after. So now we have that third part, the world system. If you just conform to the world system, I'll give you all this. If you just worship me, I'll put you over the system I created. And so you have all three of those things Jesus have to battle, but he resists all of them. And then when he comes out, he walks in power. He walks in who I am, this is what I am, and now he became a threat to everything around him. And we have to remember, we're dealing with three different realms at the same time as a believer, not just one, not just the flesh, not just uh, the world system, not just battling the devil. It's all of it coming against you. And so it becomes very important that in as we're talking about unity, and conformity, when we're united in who we are as a child of God, then 
we operate and interact in those other areas based from that perspective. But knowing all three are going to be happening against. Tommy, I'm curious from your perspective and with your circles, do you think people don't really see the applications of these concepts because the specifics are different? So Jesus in the wilderness, the temptation of multiply the bread. Well, no one's faced that. So we miss the concept behind it and we don't see it when the same thing is being presented to us. Or if you just bow to me, I'll give you all these kingdoms. Well, that could take a lot of different forms. That could look a lot of different ways to people. But if we don't recognize the motive and the concept behind it, we're not going to understand, hey, this is an influence from the enemy trying to get me to conform to something that I'm not. And so I might as well just go through with it. Does that make sense? I have looked at that story as simply just do whatever you can to avoid temptation. Like just go read your Bible or avoid that. I never look at it from the perspective of what's the attack after. And I think that's a very telling point of where you need to focus on and where you need to allow God to get into your life. And I think that maybe how a lot of people my age interpret that passage is we just need to avoid what's the temptation or whatever's happening and just go read your Bible or fast or whatever. Well, that's not necessarily the case. You need to know who you are behind each one of those things. And that's how Jesus was able to overcome. Knowing those three realms are coming after you is very important that you know your identity identity before you get challenged in any one of those realms and your identity has to come from God alone and what I find really interesting is that after that he walked in power and I think what I've been kind of walking through recently is I can walk in that power but it's not the power that makes me a Christian or it's not the power that makes me like Jesus It's knowing that I'm God's son. That's what it is. It doesn't matter. I mean, it matters what you do with your life. And it matters how you walk it out. But that's not what you should focus on. What you should focus on is your relationship with God. And you'll be able to walk it out seamlessly, you know. You look at New Testament, you know, Paul and Acts and They're simply walking out, but it's because they know who they are from God that they're able to walk it out. It's not that they find themselves in the miracles and they're like, oh, this is me. This is me doing this. You know, no, it's I'm a son of God and it flows through me. And I think that's something that we miss. The cool thing about what you just said there is when when you see the concept behind it, like you were saying then the specifics can actually happen or not happen. And so with the example of Jesus multiplying the bread in the wilderness, it wasn't the act of turning stones into bread that would have been wrong. Because remember later on, he multiplies bread, he multiplies fish, he conjures up food out, he makes, you know, he gets a fish that has a coin in it. He does all these things with food, but the motive behind why to do it was the difference. So in that, in the wilderness, it's do this so that you can prove you are something. That's that's the baseline concept. Anything, any movement, any organization, any 
any order that comes at you from that from that aspect is wrong it's evil it's from the enemy and i don't care how insignificant it seems at the time and i've i've really started to to look at that in every aspect of life where even sharing something on social media well why don't you just post this everyone's posting this just to show they support this movement and it's a it's important well maybe for some people that is the right thing to do but if if it's coming after my identity and saying, well, you need to do this to show that you're not, you know, some angry person, you need to do this so that you can prove that you care about this group of people or this political issue or this bill that's on the floor of the Senate, you need to do this. Well, no, I don't. My identity is not tied to that. It's already secure. So if I feel led to do that, absolutely. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I think that brings us to our third question there. That's what conformity is after. It's after your identity, because if it can get you to do something in order to prove that you're something or you aren't something, that you're pro something or you're anti something, then it has you. And once it has you, you are reliant on it for your status, for your identity, for your provision, for your well-being, for your, your social circles. You're reliant on it for everything. Well, and, and that is a powerful idea. And even at one point, it's, it could sound like I'm saying I'm against all these institutions because all they're doing is trying to conform you. So how are we supposed to go function in this world if we're against all that and it's against me? How do I go into it and it doesn't, I don't conform, but then how do I work? How do I function? Because it doesn't matter where you live. At some level, you're under some some kind of system that man put together. So I'm going to bring up this term, it's called ketman. It's a Persian term, and it's for the practice of maintaining an outward appearance of Islamic orthodoxy while inward, inwardly dissenting. And this is from that book, Live Not By Lies. So he's discussing this idea of ketman. An actor who inhabits his role around the clock eventually becomes the character he plays. Ketman is worse than hypocrisy because living by it all the time corrupts your character and ultimately everything in society. Professional ketman is when you convince yourself that it's okay to live a lie in the workplace because that's what you have to do to have the freedom to do good work. Very interesting concept that, that to wrestle around with. Yeah. It convince it it consists of convincing yourself that it really is possible for you to be a loyal opponent while working with it. And I think this is the greatest struggle. And it does not mean I can't go work in a workplace that everybody oppo I oppose everybody's ideas. It should make you ask the question, what work should I go do? But it doesn't matter where you go work, you're always going to have some opposing idea that's doing it. But what it does mean, at some point, you're going to have to hold the line that you're not willing to bend on. That means you could work as long as you're, you're going along, but if you cannot agree to certain aspects that cause you to compromise what you really are, then you either need to leave or you need to stand up, but you can't go along with it. I'll give you a great example. When I was working at Best Buy uh, as a manager, there came a point where there was a fundraiser, a donation to an organization that they wanted 100% participation. 
Well, I didn't believe there were certain things about that organization of what they did about the sanctity of life that I could not be involved in. But as a manager, we got actually rewarded for getting 100% involvement of everybody donating something in that group. So it came all the way around. I never said someone couldn't do it. I did my job because I'm working there, right? Hey, just want you to know this is available if you'd like to donate. The, the company is doing this program, da-da-da. Well, we came to be 99%. Well, the one 1% was me who didn't participate. And so finally, one of the other managers came to me and said, can you just get over this one little idea so we can win our contest? And I said, no, I will not give that organization any of my resources. If you would like to, that is your choice to make. That is what you need to do, but I won't bend. So I'm sorry. It ended up affecting how my job went. But again, I was, I'm working for someone else. So I don't have a right to tell them something different, but it came to a point where you're putting it on to me to make a choice. And I gave everybody a choice to do it. I didn't make them do it. I didn't try to, I didn't pressure anybody to do it, but I made it available. I did what was my role. I did what was my function, but I couldn't align on this idea. I ended up leaving probably about six months after that point because it pretty much wrecked my future upgrade career at that point, which they ended up telling me that is part of the reason why they, they couldn't have me in there. I'm okay with that. You know what? I'm not mad at them for it. That's what they believe. This is what I believe. So then I had to go down a different journey and we ended up creating a company. But the, the, whole, the whole thing about that is there has to be something in you that refuses to bend. And this is how we make in our current world, the ability to disagree. But if I became spiteful at them and hateful at that organization for what they did and all of that, I'm just want to tear them down for doing it. I'm really operating from the same thinking and the same fallenness that they were operating towards me. So I can't respond that way. I'm just standing in the truth. That is, I'm still, I can be unified around some ideas but I won't conform to the picture. And I think it becomes very important and it brings me back to an idea that we do have to get a hold of the ability to argue the ability. The, the Paul says to be at peace with everyone. And then he says, contend for the faith. The word contend is a Russell. It is the same word when Greco-Roman wrestlers would wrestle together or box together. It was a conflict. It was not a disunifying. Boxers are unified around their sport, but when they're in the ring, they're contending. They're, they're wrestling through their, their skill sets and their ideas. And it's why I loved using sports when we're doing any of our mentorship, because there's a contending in it. Guess what? The outcomes are not always, are not equal. Each individual's outcome is not equal. So we have to learn to work within those, those frameworks and to, to contend and, and to bring your ideas. And you might not be good at this one skill, but when I switch you to the other side of the field and you play a different position, all of a sudden that skill comes out. So we're contending, we're working through that. And I remember uh, a young man was sharing, he's, he was from Ukraine and his family was uh, of Jewish descent. And he was talking about the early Orthodox, how the synagogue was set up. 
And the rabbi, so I'm, I'm just going by what he was telling me, but it really made a lot of sense. But he was explaining to me this, this process that the, the rabbi would read the scroll and then the men would argue that scripture, not disagreeing with it, but arguing of how do we bring that about? What's the aspect we use it? How are we going to use it in our society like that? How, how do we bring it about? And they would argue through that. And what they were doing, it was they were contending. And in that, they were bond together because they battled together. But they had that freedom to wrestle through those ideas. So they were unifying, not conforming to that truth. And I think it's just a powerful picture. So we do see occasional environments in history where contention and arguments are allowed and even expected. And at the end of it, you're not cast out of the country or the society because you didn't conform to the opinion. I don't know of very many places where we see that in practice today. I mean, we see a facade of it. Like, yeah, we have, there's a lot of public discourse, but then at the end of it, if someone doesn't agree to you, then, or doesn't agree with you, then, well, we just got to remove them. Like we got to get them out of here somewhere because they didn't agree. And we've turned everything into the most important thing. Like it almost seems like if, if people have a disagreement on what color to paint a wall in a house, that someone's going to get so offended they call for them to be canceled well don't you know that this color just promotes bigotry so for you to even like that color there's got to be something wrong with you so we've got to take you off social media like it seems like it's getting that ridiculous out there right now but it's important because if they can separate you from each other they can isolate you if they can isolate you you'll become more conformed to ideological now you can have an us versus them it, it is a very, and it, it's not originating from people. It's originating from a fallen nature influenced by an enemy. And I think one thing that becomes really a critical component in this unity versus conformity and everything that we've been discussing. So we kind of figured out what a, a natural repellent to that kind of influence is. Because on one hand, I, I at least in my experience, no one thinks that they are super susceptible to that kind of influence everyone tends to think they would stand up for the truth if it really came down to it everyone tends to think that they would never permit something um you know evil like totalitarianism to take hold if, and and maybe if it was you know presented as this blatant black and white choice they would but since it's not that way it's not like you have someone in a plane saying hey i want to bring in a totalitarian government are you guys okay with that it's a bit more subtle so since it is more subtle, how do we make ourselves aware of that? It looks appealing, especially if you've been in lack or in discomfort or in pain or been wrong. It looks like a sense of justice to have that world. But again, even as believers, we do this in other areas is we make solving the world's problem right now. Like let's, let's get this world fixed. Well, well, we can't because Jesus is the one who comes back to and do that. Okay, then let's just get our flesh under control so we're not tempted anymore. So we just focus on that. Okay, but then you still have to deal with the world. Or everything is about fighting the devil. It's the devil. So we do that, but then we, we realize we're still operating those other two realms. And I love what the kingdom of God says. It's not what's going to come. It, it is what's going to come, but how it's brought about is 
it starts in the heart of men. So the kingdom of God is when you believe in Jesus, it's among you because it's in you. Now the fruit of that produces something. And I think we try to do things from the external no different than Marxism does. If we fix the environment, the people will be fixed because generally people are good. It's just the environment that shaped them into being bad. That is a deep, deep belief. We don't believe that. We believe the environment is bad and it does shape people. But the only change is when the heart of man changes and the kingdom of God goes to the heart of man, therefore begins affecting those other realms. And it's not till Jesus returns till everything gets changed. But if we could live from the heart of the kingdom of God, then we have a baseline. Now we can unify. Now we can look beyond the noise and really see the heart of people. And we can align and we can be around different groups without compromising the truth. And if they hate you for being you, not hate you because you're an offensive hateful person, but they hate you because you won't conform to their ideas. That's normal, but we don't have to lose our essence, but we can still keep standing for the truth. We still put, keep pushing back darkness with light. We still keep holding the, the, the truth and justice and we judge our decisions. And we're, since we're free because of Christ, then we now are responsible to hold to the truth. So can it look like a movement sometimes? Absolutely. Can it look like, uh, uh, it, it, does it have an involvement in politics? At times it does. Does it have an, uh, an involvement in our workplace? Yes, it does. Does it mean I can't work for a company that doesn't believe everything that I believe? No. But if you're going in there to get that group to accept you, take care of you, comfort you, and now you compromise everything you are being in there, then that's a problem. But if your heart's changed, you could stand up and walk away because your source is not that job. Your source is not that place. Your source is not that political group. Your source is not any of those things. Your source of is only God. Bringing us all the way back is the number one thing that Satan was after when he tempted Adam and Eve was the breaking of the relationship between man and God. If that relationship is tight, this doesn't fall apart. When that's broken, all this other comes into place. So I guess as we wrap it up here, Tommy, I'm curious from your circles, how do you, how have you seen people successfully stand against things that are trying to get them to conform? But also how have you seen people fail at that? One way I see failure is in the fact that people don't no history when they hear of like marxism or communism they hear what it's described as or what it's sold or pitched to people as but they don't know what happened they don't know the people that died the all the terrible things that came with it because they're pitched this phenomenal idea and it's great you know thing but we don't know, it, it already happened in the past, but a lot of people my age and even myself, including, I find myself like, wow, I didn't even know that happened. Like, wow, I didn't know that, like, just however many years ago that 
this actually happened on the earth like wow like i don't it raises to me that i need to know history before it repeats itself again but also back to on what people do good i think it goes on the lines of in class not just shutting up so that people think you're you're all you're all right you're all cool you're you're a good guy you're you know whatever you don't you don't stand for anything but actually like confronting those ideas that you disagree with especially for me in school it's it's like some things get brought up and it's like oh do i want to fight this battle today oh do i want to do i want to go in do i want to do i want to deal with this do i want to have to take a stand on this but it's like yeah i should and at least i shouldn't you know i I'm, i might not have to stand and go against the grain with everyone but i should should acknowledge it that i don't believe it's true I don't have to fight up and stand for myself, but I, I should acknowledge that I don't believe that. And I think the hardest part with that is knowing that my, my source doesn't come from what other people think about me or from what my professor thinks about me, but it comes from God. And I think that's something that I have to deal with on a daily basis is I have to remind myself, you know, God loves me for who I am. God loves me. God called me. God sent his son for me to save me from my, my sins. And now I can operate through that. But if I let those people define who I am, I'm just always going to go back to what they agree. And I'm just going to always go back to whatever they say is right because their view of me is dictated by basically what they say. It's not by how I live or who I know I am. And so I think the people in my life who live that the most, they don't live by what people say. They live by the truth. And I think, I think that's one of the biggest factors is that you just don't let others dictate who you are. I think it ties into this thought that just went through my head is conformity is really looking to be loved. Unity is living from a place where you are. Now you're offering something to the people around you versus trying to extract something at the compromising of everything that you are for the acceptance or love from that group. So when people say we need to be more loving, but you're needing the love and acceptance from the group that you quote unquote are trying to love and the approval of those that think that that is the right loving thing, you're looking to be loved, so your source is going to be perverted. But when you look at people and love, I, at times, you guys will speak the truth to me. You'll call me out on things. You're not risking whether I'm going to like you anymore or not like you anymore. Coaching. How many times do you have to call out a player and like, hey, we got to get this fixed? And then there's times the team will come together and say, hey, coach, can we look at a different play? Because this just ain't working. That, that isn't breaking, that is unified. But they're not conformed out of fear that if they step out of line, they're going to be no longer played. They're no longer going to be a part of the team. We're, we're working together. And I think when we're confident in who we are, that makes you so powerful because you're unmoved, but yet you're loving. You truly can love other people. You can walk in forgiveness. You could not hold the wrongs that people do against them. But you're not going to bend to the satanic ideologies that are flowing through them. 
but it's almost like you're separating, like you're telling them, Hey, get out of the way. There's something coming. And if they choose to come against you, that's why we're not bitter at them. And that's why Stephen, after he was stoned, while he was being stoned, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. They're so blinded by all this stuff. But he didn't bend to the truth, but he deeply loved those people. So if you can't hold to the truth, you don't love. If you only want the truth, but you're angry, you don't love. It, it's both. The more you rely on something to, to either provide for you financially, emotionally, socially, the more you rely on something to provide for you in those areas, the more control it has over you. That's the concept of God is my all in all. I mean, we, we've sang songs in church for decades of you're all I need. You provide all I need. But I don't really think we've lived that out. I'm talking to myself included. God, you're all I need, but man, if I lose my status in this social group, that would just wreck me. Or man, if if I had to be honest about what I think about this issue at my job, that would just wreck me. And and, and again, none of us are perfect at it, but understanding that's that's the operation of it. That's how these things function. Now we can start to see, oh, Father, that's what you meant when you said you can actually provide me with everything I need. So, Father, now how do you provide for me in this area where I realize now I've been relying on a system of the world for that provision for so long? That's what the Father wants to get to to change in every single one of us. So, again, we were kind of, we touched a couple points, uh, went off went off the script of the book, but it stirred a lot of questions. But I highly recommend the book. Live Not by Lies by Rod Dreher, and listen to the reports and the thoughts of those that emerged out of a deep, violent, totalitarian world and how they see things from a Christian's perspective of how to live differently. All right, we're going to keep this up in the next episode, but I hope it's uh, sparking some thoughts in you guys on taking a, a deeper look at what it means to not be conformed to this world, because I think there's so much more depth than we've been um accustomed to seeing in in christianity in that just entire concept so we'll be back again next episode to keep going in this until then keep the faith and stay in the fight